Hi, welcome to Head Start, the podcast for race directors and the business of putting on races. When you think of race expos, what kind of thing comes to mind? Well, if you're like me, you're probably thinking huge pre-race expos like New York or London, where you go to pick up your bib and where you get to stroll around hundreds of booths from high-profile running brands showcasing their latest thing. Well, race expos are actually a lot more common than you think, and according to my guest today, absolutely every event can and should have one. And why wouldn't yours? Race expos are an amazing way to elevate your participants' event experience, a good way to add an additional revenue stream to your race, and just about the best way to activate sponsorships and expand the roster of your commercial partnerships. My guest today, industry veteran Craig Minslav, has been working on races and race expos for more than 20 years. Through his company, Endurance Sports Marketing Group, he's been managing expos for some of the best-known events and event series in the industry, and he's with us today to share some of the many things he's learned from setting up, promoting, and selling out hundreds of race expos on both sides of the Atlantic. Does your event have a race expo? Have you thought about launching one? Well, this is the episode for you. Before we go into all that, though, I want to give a quick shout-out to our podcast sponsor, Give Sign Up, Run Sign Up, the leading all-in-one technology solution for endurance and fundraising events. More than 22,000 in-person, virtual, and hybrid events use Give Sign Up, Run Sign Up's free and integrated solution to save time, grow their events, and raise more. Well, Give Sign Up, Run Sign Up offer, frankly, too many features for me to even enumerate here, from fundraising and email marketing awesome race websites, a full suite of tools to help you streamline race day. The list just goes on and on. So do yourself a favor and visit runsignup.com. That's runsignup.com to see all the amazing things you can be achieving with Give Sign Up, Run Sign Up's industry-leading race technology. Okay, and with that, let's get into this amazing episode. Craig. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. Where are you currently based? Sitting in snowy Bavaria in southern Germany at the moment in our European offices. Oh, that's super. What do they do there? Uh, sausages, beer? What's the what's the specialty? <laughs> All of the above, absolutely. So as we're heading into the winter, we actually start drinking Glühwein, which is like a spicy hot red wine that we have during the winter. All right. And you have those uh, Christmas markets, right? We do. But thanks to our COVID uh, situation we've had for the last two years, um, all of our 2020 and just announced last week that they're canceling all Christmas markets throughout Germany uh, this winter. So not a good situation economically. So um, yeah, they already had the Munich one already set up and canceled it last week. So a very large negative economic impact on the area for sure. Oh, that's terrible. We used to have Christmas, uh, sort of like German-style Christmas markets in London when uh, when we lived there, and we, we used to love them. It's the thing to be looking forward to for Christmas. Yeah, well, I'm sure our conversation today will definitely be bringing up COVID as it affects many events around the world, especially here in Europe and the US. Not quite as much, but has over the last year. So we'll see how things work out over the next year. Right. So you've done... Um, a great number of things, uh, actually, in the endurance event space. Lots of different stuff. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background in the industry and and all the different uh, roles you've had? I won't make it too long. It's, it is long. So it began working with, if people are familiar with the competitor network magazines in the United States, um, they were based out of San Diego and Chicago. So I worked out of the Colorado offices. 
Um, this is during 1995 through 2000. Um, we had a conglomeration of 18 sports magazines around the country, all specific to that region, which made it very unique. Uh, so I did that for about five or six years. And during my process there, um, which we can go more into detail, um, is how my business, my first business started, Ground Zero Sports Marketing Group, is we then, I farmed off and started doing expo sales for major marathons and cycling events around the country. And I did that for another six or seven years, including in that time frame, we helped launch the Live Strong Band when we, it came out. We launched the Jelly Belly Sport Bean when it came out. Many different companies that came to us to help them launch their products through expos, through sports expos around the United States. That's kind of how everything evolved. Then it took a couple of years off, worked for Rudy Project Eyewear Worldwide out of the United States. And then just five years ago, as we had many companies that were looking to launch their products in Europe and vice versa, we started meeting different companies throughout Europe. I moved to Germany to open an office here to start working on some events throughout Europe and also help some companies, which we still do today, uh, launch vice versa across the pond um, from Europe to the U.S. and U.S. back here. And in the mix of all that, the last few years, working with the Hope Route cycling events around the country, around the world, excuse me, um, mainly in the United States because they're both in Europe and the United States. And then um, off and on working with, as which we do now, our largest client, the cool events with the Blacklight Runs, the Bubble Runs, um, a handful of about 140 events throughout the U.S., and then just recently, we became partners in the Nocturne Cycling Events, which will host six major cycling events throughout the world next year, and then add another three in 2023. They're based out of London, and um, we're helping them in London, Paris, Amsterdam, Madrid, uh, Milan, and San Francisco. So that's where puts us where we are today. Awesome. Well, I mean, yeah, some some um, really uh, high-profile uh, events there, uh, particularly in Europe. I I know those events quite well, particularly in the cycling in the cycling world. Some some awesome events. So you've done um, a few things around uh, race expos, which is going to be the topic of our discussion today. I uh, claim uh, complete ignorance. I should be upfront about this. I have I know very very little about race expos. Let's set the scene a little bit for people who for race directors who have not put on a race expo as part of their event. What are we talking about? What is a race expo? And from the point of view of the race director in the event, what kind of purpose does it serve in the grand scheme of things? So I know many of your listeners are both include large events and small events. So I'll try to speak and answer questions to cover both aspects of it. So on a purpose of an expo, I kind of made a list of Mainly three things uh, to create an experience would be one, financial to make money and profit off of um, selling expo space. And then obviously the third is for sponsorship execution. So for people that are involved with your event that want some added exposure to be on site and reach these athletes, mostly both running and cycling during and after the event. And sometimes before too, which we can go into more detail for packet pickups that we have many of our clients do one or two days prior to the event for our large events that um, that do a packet pickup one or two days before the event for people to pick up their packets and see clients before the event. 
Right. Okay. I think that's a great summary. So basically, we're saying race expos are there. A, they're going to make people have a better day out because, you know, there's going to be things for them to do there. B, I'm going to make some money out of them because, you know, I'm going to be taking some money from vendors and other people who want to actually appear in the expo. And C, it's a great place to just showcase my sponsors and, and, and help activate the sponsorships that I already have. Is that, is that right? Exactly. And I'll, I'll add that, especially now, and it's changed over the last decade or so um, with millennials, and most people know this, that events now are more about the experience than the actual run or cycling event. So definitely has changed over the years. When we did start back in 1995, we really were right at the launch of sports exos becoming a necessity or popular or a moneymaker for some of these events. It really grew very, very fast. So at one point, we were running expos for some of the largest marathons from Seattle to San Francisco to several of the rock and roll races, helping out with the Boston Marathon. And they needed our help because there's so many clients to call on and reach out to to come out to these events. And the expo world grew very, very fast. As we're now, it's kind of just second nature and kind of mandatory for all events to do one. And it's interesting, on the one hand, you mention all events having one. On the other one, I think all the examples that come to my mind and some that you mentioned, they're really exposed for really very big events, you know, like marquee events like the London Marathon, you know, like Hot Route, all of those places. Is it fair to say that, you know, even for my local 10K or my local half marathon, I can, I, I can aspire to and I can work towards having an expo for that kind of event, for a smaller event? Oh, absolutely. So our firm also owns uh, several smaller running events in Colorado. And we work um, with another 20 or 30 events just in Colorado, some smaller events that may only have 500 to even 1,000 runners. And and that's not necessarily necessary, but definitely a great added value for you to have a small expo. So we'll get into more details later, whether it be a local gym, a local retailer, serving beer or wine at the finish line, which has kind of become just secondary for all events if they can get an alcohol permit to have that at the finish line. Um, local food companies, food trucks. So everything can be considered an expo, right? Just having any type of vendors, booths, food trucks at a finish line. So yeah, anyone could do it. Okay. And you mentioned there the finish line. I guess that's the natural place to set up the expo, right? Where, where people are finishing and they have a little bit more time on their hands after the race to engage with everything that I have put together for them there. Correct. So for smaller events, yes, always have them at the finish line. That's where everyone's congregating. It's where their spectators are waiting and friends to meet them at the finish line. It's where they you have your post-food area. You have your bag pickup if, let's say, it was a race from A to B. So that's the, the finish line. The start line, yeah, we have very few f- vendors. If we have an event that goes from A to B, you know, meaning it starts at one point and finishes at another, at that point, maybe you just have a coffee vendor or a coffee truck of some sort or maybe a food vendor that's there. But again, most of our smaller events all do expos at the finish line. The only difference would be the large, large events that have pre-expo packet pickup, whether it be the day before or two days before, then they also have an expo at the finish line. And 
again, we can go into more details, but there's different vendors that want different things, whatever their purposes of getting involved with the event, whether they really want time with them beforehand and sell them something. And that, so they come to the packet pickup early or at the finish line. Many times the athletes don't have funds or money, so it's not really a sales aspect for clients that are looking there for return on investment by selling something. So every, every client's different, what they need or want. Interesting. Okay, very interesting distinction. So you're saying that basically, you know, the the large marathon expo I go to in London or New York to, to uh, pick up my packet, there'd be people there who would actually not have my wallet on me, who'd want to sell me stuff. Whereas the expo I have on race day at the end of my event might be more like, as you're saying, more like, I guess, like brand awareness. Is that what vendors at, at that expo would be looking for? Exactly. Brand awareness. So let's say at the finish line, it would always be your food and beverage companies. A lot of the times this, they go on both sides, event marketing. So other events that are there to market their event, they like their being at the expo beforehand so they can chit chat with them longer. But many times they just want to be at the finish line so they can pass you a flyer promoting their event, their other running race or a cycling event that they have later on throughout the season. So it depends on what the client wants. And that's much of what we do when we reach out to our clients. Um, we ask them, you know, what's the purpose of your wanting to get involved? And if it's sales, we usually steer them to coming to the day or two before the packet or for packet pickup, not at the finish line. But again, we leave that up to them what they want to do. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned there the um, among the type of vendors or people you would have at your expo, particularly for a small race, that you could have other races in your area or other people who may have an interest in passing on some event details to your uh, finishers. So that's already something that any event can look forward to, right? I mean, it's it, it's not particularly hard to find some some events in your area and work with them to be part of your race expo. Absolutely. So you brought me aboard to uh, come up with some ideas and some suggestions. So I've got a great one. This one we do very heavily in Colorado because that's where we've been based for so long. Definitely partner yourself with other events in your region. So many race directors we've worked with Think of that as competition. They're not. They're, they, you want to be their friend. So, for example, we all my events are in the fall. So they're in September, October, November, December. So I have no problem allowing other events that have events in February, March, April, May, throughout the summer to coming to our event. So what we do with about five or six different event directors in Colorado is we swap booths. So we will go to their events in the summer for free and promote our events that are coming up in the fall and vice versa. We then allow them to come to our event in the fall to promote their next spring or summer events. And sometimes we'll have up to four or five other events at our fall events promoting their summer events, if that makes sense. Right. And that would be, I guess, the equivalent of doing like an in-kind sponsorship or something. You're not, you're not getting cash out of it, but you're basically getting potential registrations, which is as good as cash, I guess, because, you know, other events show up in your event, you show up in other people's events, and it's like, like, like a cross-promotion. To me, as a race director, and again, not every race director feels that, is money saved is money earned. So if I can give a free booth to someone who's then going to come and bring 4,000 bottles of rain energy drink or 4,000 bags of chip 
chips. Well, you need to take care of your athlete at the finish line. So better for me to get it free and just giving them some space at the expo than charging them. So we work with different races around the country that speak of that differently. They Some of them definitely want some money up front. Others, yes, it is a high expense for them to feed um, food and beverages to the racers. So no problem doing 100% trade for a boost space in the expo for free food. That's an interesting point. You know, it's, it's something that I also uh, at times had to struggle with. When you have someone coming to you with an offer of something that is value adding for your event, right? Like free food or free, you know, like nutrition product companies do it quite a lot. You know, they approach events and they have and they say, you know, I'm going to give you free product and stuff. From your point of view and your experience in selling these um, these spaces and these sponsorships, essentially, where do you draw the line? What's a good balance? Should you should you ask for money on top of the free product? Should you just take the free product and be happy with it? Like how how far can you push that? So you just used a word that intertwined with our conversation. You used the word sponsorship. There's a big difference. So if Cliff Bar calls me up and says, I just want a booth to come pass out bars. Okay, yes, we'll either give it to them for free. If they, it depends what they're going to give. If they're going to give a free bar for each runner, probably, most likely, yes. If I'm a smaller event and that's all they want, just some booth space that I'm already there at the event, I have my park, I have some open space on the grass, and it's going to make my event better, then yeah. Or maybe just give them the booth for $100 or something, right, to cover your cost of some time, the table, a chair, whatever have you, if it's an outdoor event. Um, but sponsorship, big difference. So if, if, if they're asking for you know, banner ads and banners up and PA announcements and e-blasting and logo on t-shirt, big difference, right? So we're, we're here talking expo. If it's just for expo, me as a race director also, most of the time, yeah, it's, it's going to be free or it's going to be very discounted for them to come to provide hundreds or if not thousands of dollars worth of product. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. That's a very straightforward answer. So in terms of the size that these expos grow up to, for a small event, you know, let's say, let, let's pick like a thousand. I mean, it's not really a small event, given that the average event is probably around the 500 mark, but, you know, like we we, we keep thinking of those events as being small. They're not. But, you know, let's pick the example of a of a thousand person race or a 500-person race, how many of those spaces, those those little uh, you know vendor booths, would I look to have? Is there even a limit? You know, can I can I have as many as as I can sell, or as many as I guess you know my my expo area would support? Yeah, you answered my question. So, a yeah, how much space do you have? So, if you have unlimited space, let's talk about small events first. Unlimited space, then you know typically an event. Uh, that we work with will have just five, six, seven vendors, right? So to get expo partners and attendees is also time consuming, which is what most race directors don't have. And they also don't have the database, right? Which is how my company got started was it's all we do, right? So these companies, uh, when we started, we're like, hey, no problem. If you guys want to help, then more have at it, go at it and go find some more vendors for us. Because the way we operate, which I should have explained, is we don't charge a fee for expo sales. 
we just take a higher commission. So there's no cost to the events that we work with. But over the years, we've reduced the number of events that we work with just because there's only a certain bandwidth of what you can handle. Um, and then there's a we do some expo management where, yes, we're actually hired by the event to do everything. We design the maps. We make the itineraries. We're on site and making sure they show up and they know where to set up. We rent all the tables and chairs beforehand. So that's another whole side of business which we only do for a small handful of events. Back in the day, we did it for 30 or 40 around the country. But um, now we're just more on a sales aspect of it. Um, but it depends on how much work they want to put into it, right? So if they have the time or some even small companies I or events that we work with in U.S. actually hire an expo salesperson, which we work with, right? Because they're, they're our liaison for here we have Cliff Bar coming, here we have Nike coming. We just let them know and they execute it for us. So um, small events, yeah, typically four, five, six, seven vendors, a local gym, their local retailer. Maybe it's a spin gym or a workout gym, a local clothing company, a local brewery. Um, yeah, it depends on how much work you want to put into it. So typically... Small event, five to 10 vendors, medium-sized event, 15 to 30, and then, of course, our major marathons, anywhere between 50 to 150, right, where it's a big business for them. And speaking of all of those local businesses, I mean, some of them are, I guess, obvious or the kinds of people that you may also turn to for maybe a sponsorship. From your point of view, having done this for a while, how would you go about matching an event with potential candidate vendors for the expo? We, we work more on a national basis, but we always explain to our local and smaller events, which we also do for the bubble runs as well. We target market local vendors within a 20-kilometer basis. That's one thing we've learned, which we can go into detail. Local vendors are people that can drive there, right? So it's that local retailer down the store or a local gym or brewery um, but in some of our markets the the a markets seattle san francisco los angeles colorado is just denver's huge because there's so many companies based in those regions and also i could talk for hours about this one there's local sales reps so we deal with this even on a worldwide basis through distributors so all these companies let's say nike for instance you might reach out to nike but the local reps have budget. We can get on this whole side thing. How we can go find people who want to get involved. We got a lot of, probably 20 to 25% of our business back in the day came from local reps. So what major companies, and again, I'll speak U.S. specifically, started doing were two, two things. Um, sorry, I got ADD because I can just talk for hours. Um, companies used to do their budgets annually. They don't do that anymore, most of them. They'll, they'll have a budget and set it aside but they'll spend it quarterly. So don't think in advance that you need to go run as fast as you can to get accepted for small, medium, and near large companies now to get their budgets um, because they spend it quarterly. Then what happened over the years is they handed the budgets and approvals to what events and expos they went to, to their local sales reps. So, I got to know, again, we'll speak Colorado specifically, got to know all the reps in the area because you became friends with them and they got to know your event. They had the power and many times the money 
to spend to get involved with specific events. I'll use Brooks as an example. Brooks, the Brooks rep in Colorado literally had a specific budget of like $25,000 to spend on what events he wanted to get involved with and go to. So um, kind of going across the boards, but getting to the major companies early. So you'd call, let's say you want to call up Nike or some of the running companies, ask them to get involved, connect you with their local rep and go, go grassroots and go local more than national, especially if you're an event that's under 5,000 people, stay local. If you get above the 5,000, 10,000 people, then you're going straight to national because you're going to be charging more. And many of these larger companies have uh, limits. I'll use rain energy drink, for example, their local person that manages that region is allowed to spend a thousand up to a thousand dollars per event to be part of an expo. But anything above that, it's got to go to headquarters um, in California. So if you're a smaller event, stick local, reach out local, and also for the smaller, you know, retail companies that you want to go to in gyms, people don't like driving to events anymore. And we definitely learned that in Colorado. It's kind of that one and a half hour limit. So stay within a 20, 30 kilometer distance from your event. So you're saying, which is, um, I think lots of people would be positively surprised to hear, that basically um, national brands, they have allocations, they have budgets for uh, investing, you know, for, for taking out opportunities like the ones we're talking about at the local level. And you're saying that the person managing the, the purse strings is the local rep and he has authority to come out and take a booth in your event. Even if we're talking, you know, like Brooks and Nike and those kinds of people that lots of the smaller events may think are completely out of reach. Yes, absolutely. Also, keynote, we get hired to help sell expo space. And so then many of our events we started working with, well, do you sell sponsorship? So we do very little of that. Why? Because all medium-sized to large companies, there is an entire event marketing person and an event marketing budget. So from whether there's a global marketing person or a national marketing person, most of the medium to large size companies, and the small ones too even, have a specific event marketing person. So when we make phone calls or reach out to companies which I was even doing this morning here for all of our cycling events that we're doing around the world, I send an email out and said, hey, we have events we're working on. Can you connect me to your event marketing person? 90% of the time, they have one specific for event marketing, not media or sponsorship, because those are much more work, I guess, or just different. And so they have a specific person to speak to just for events. That's another kind of like um, term I came across the other day. Is the event marketing person different to maybe someone whose role may be field marketing, like a field marketing person? Are they are they two different roles? Yes, great question. The field marketing person, again, I'll use examples of Rain Energy Drink or Monster Energy Drink, um, and a new one we're just working with. Um, won't mention the company name, but we reached out to them, and they have regional um, marketing people that are specifically put into specific regions. So we've called, like we called rain energy drink and they're like, okay, cool. 
can you reach out to our nine different regional marketing people we have in each regions? And then those people may be making the decision. So they're not sales reps because they're not doing any sales aspect. Their literal job, and this is more on food and beverage than any other brands. It's food and beverage that they're out there. And we reach out to each one of them and give them the list of the events we work on. And then they let us know what events they want to get for. And they have their own budgets too, like completely separate as well. Okay, so as Greg has hopefully demonstrated so far, the key to a successful race expo and to a successful event more generally is that elusive thing, the race experience. So while your amazing race expo is taking place at the finish line, keeping people happy, how has your start line experience been? How smooth was your check-in, for example? Remember, your race experience starts the minute a participant walks into one of your check-in tents. So, did they check in in seconds or did they have to queue for half an hour in the freezing rain? Hopefully it's the former. And with race day technology from industry leaders Give Sign Up Run Sign Up, it would be. With a race day checking up from Give Sign Up Run Sign Up that you can simply run on your phone, you can easily check in thousands of participants and seamlessly distribute bibs and swag without a hitch. And with Give Sign Up Run Sign Up's dynamic bib assignment, people will be streaming out your check in tent in seconds. And you will be saving on no-show bibs that you can now avoid, only handing out the bibs you need to the people who show up. Whatever order they show up in, whether their name starts with an A or a Z or anything in between. So, to learn more about the amazing Give Sign Up, Run Sign Up, Race Day Checking Up and all other Race Day suite tools, head over to runsignup.com. That's runsignup.com and see what a smooth Race Day experience can mean for you and your team. Okay, now... Let's get back to the interview with Craig Minslav. Next up, what really happens when a big brand decides to come out and join my race expo? Going back to those uh, to those big national brands and stuff. So let's say that I reach out to my local rep at Brooks and, you know, they have a budget and they're interested in my event and they want to show up. What should I expect from someone like that? So, you know, if I have... If I have closed uh, Brooks as one of my uh, vendors for the expo, they'll show up, take up a 10 by 10 space or something, and then what? They'll, they'll put out some shoes. Like, what would they be looking to do on the day? All right. So <laughs> you brought up another whole topic. The first thing that any event should do before anything, when they launch their event, first thing, cycling, running, is to go find a retail partner so important because immediately the first question he's going to ask the Brooks rep, who is your running store sponsor and we'll runners roost or Boulder running company or whoever, because that's so important to them. They want to know they're not going to sell on site. So their whole point is to close the loop, right? So their whole point is to be there, come to the event, show their shoes and say, Oh yes, they are available at, you know, runner's roost running store. There's 10 of them here in Colorado. Um, we're working that exact program right now. Like for the last two weeks, we've been working with Dick sporting goods, um, and Roadrunner sports for our 140 events around the country, because several of our potential partners and sponsors and expo vendors have already asked that question. Who are you partnered with? So is that answering your question? I guess, so what is he going to do? Yeah, people like that, they're not there to sell. They're there to promote. And 
That's why many times we'll also go get a grocery sponsor or grocery partner, right? So we've gone to Whole Foods and even if it was just them to get involved to donate the apples or the bananas and have a booth at the finish line. We've done that for some events. Just They're like five blocks up the street and they know, especially grocery, they know that their demographic is only 10 kilometers around their grocery store, right? And we know that our running race is that's all our people are coming from with a 20 kilometer. So it's, that's how they can market. They come and they bring some bananas and apples and promote their grocery store. So it, again, helps close the loop on vendors and sponsors when you have retail partners. It's, it's crucial. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally get it. And it does answer the question very well. You're saying that basically, yeah, there's not going to be like a Brooks person there you know, like with a stack of shoes, selling shoes and, you know, like taking your credit card details, basically they're going to be more like a high-end car dealership or something. You'll, you'll see there the kind of product that you might be interested in, and then they'll refer you to whoever your retail partner is. And they'll say, you know, you can find the new Brooks Adrenaline or whatever in that shop. And the large events that are listening to this podcast obviously know that, right? So you go, like Brooks, I believe, was New York Marathon years ago. And I heard once that Brooks did over $100,000 in sales over a three-day period at the New York Marathon, right? So they're their official clothier and they're their official shoe. And so, um, however, and I've worked with companies when I told you we do a lot of field marketing for different brands is when you're going and buying those shoes from Brooks at the New York Marathon, it's not going to Brooks. It's running through some retail partner or retail sponsor. So when you see your credit card statement, it's not going to say Brooks running. It's going to say ABC running store, right? So again, why it's crucial. Right. Okay. And and for those sponsors, when you want to approach your Brooks rep or even the other types of vendors you may wish to have as part of your expo, you know, your local chiropractor, your local, you know, family lawyer even, or or those kinds of people, what are you going to be pitching to them? So what are you selling those guys on? Particularly for people who are, you know, maybe the Brooks rep, I mean, it's his job probably to be familiar with what a race expo has to offer and, you know, what, what what the whole like offering is around these kinds of things. But for other businesses and even the Brooks rep, what kinds of numbers would they expect to see and what are what would they wish to be sold on to take part? Broad question. So um, we're selling eyeballs, right? We're selling people uh, attending. So everything's based off, and we can lead into this, one of the questions you had on our sheet was our co- the cost, right? So um, we base everything off kind of a CPM. We definitely changed the market back in the day when we came into managing so many expos around the country. Um, for some loved us, some hated us. Why? Because some realized they were completely selling their expo space too too cheap, right? So we were working with the Boulder Boulder. I don't, most people in the United States will know the Boulder Boulder 10K. It's actually the eighth largest running race in the world. They get just about sixty thousand runners. It's a 10K race. And at the time when we were working with them, they were only selling their boosts for like $600 for the two-day packet pickup and only for like $800 for the day of race. Now, as people kind of learned what they should really be charging, they charge $1,400 for the two-day expo beforehand and $2,400 for just to be there on the day of race at the finish line um, in front of 60,000 people. So... 
on a cost amount wise for that basis is they don't want to, it can't be too, too expensive, right? Um, so anything between 50 to a hundred dollars per thousand, it's kind of a number I wanted to throw out at you. Um, again, depends on the race director's goal though. So in our very start of our conversation, the goal was, and I believe is as a race director also, my goal is not more of the financial side of things. It's the experience because ultimately as a race director, you want your racers to keep coming back year after year after year. And if they don't have a fun experience or think they got a great value or got something out of it, whether they came and got some free drinks and some free food or a free entry to go to the gym for the week, they may not come back, right? So they're there for the experience. Um, so don't make it too expensive for them. And then make it easy for the rate for these reps and these people to come, right? Just it's quick, it's here, it's here's where you set up. Much easier for the smaller events, right? That are outside. Um, the larger events with all the unions and indoor stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of work. But just make it make it easy on them to get involved and be there and set up beforehand, pop up a tent and reach the people and get in front of them so people come to their booth. And beyond the CPM, because I mean, definitely the CPM for your Boulder Boulder example is super attractive, particularly for, for endemic brands. But the CPM, unfortunately, you know, People may be familiar, for instance, with Facebook ad CPMs, which can tend to be very, very low. And if you go to someone who's not very familiar with the Race Expo concept, they might think, oh, you know, for the same cost, I can be reaching all these many people on Facebook using Facebook ads, for instance. But I'm, I'm guessing you also want to sell this thing on, on the quality of the engagement, not only on the cost and the quantity of engagement that people will be getting out of it. The fact that you're there that your target audience is in front of you, you can chat to them, you know, you, you can engage at a, at a more, at a richer and deeper level, right? Yeah, and definitely know your demographics. They'll ask that a lot. So average now, though, it's, and I see it because I also used to announce races and stuff in Colorado. It's crazy that about 60 to 70% now of all runners are females. I mean, I'm sure race directors hearing this on the podcast would agree with me. Um, also, and it's a shame because I ran my first marathon when I was 15. There's no more, there's no more millennia. There's no kids. There's no, it's crazy. So we do kids races at all of our events because we do it more to give back and just get kids out there. But the average age now at some of these half marathons, 10 Ks and go on the tangent of triathlons are in the mid to high thirties in age. It's crazy. It, it's a shame that you don't see more millennials and twenties. They're just, they're busy playing video games or whatever they're doing. So um, definitely know your demographics. Cause they're going to ask that. Cause we definitely go after women products as well. Cause they'll, that's usually majority of all of our events, especially the bubble runs that we work on majority women. So we, and we sometimes will, if it's a women specific product and we only know 60, 70% of our vendor or attendees are women, Sometimes we will give them a discount because we want them there, right? But we also know they're they're specifically only trying to reach the women market. Right. And, and that's going back again to the balance between, yes, try to use the expo as a bit of a revenue earner, but also always keep in mind the race experience, right? How important that is and, and how much a vendor showing up, the right kind of vendor can enhance the whole race experience for, for people coming to, to the race, right? Yep, correct. Yep. So just, and a good mix is nice. You know, so you got food and beverage companies, you got some local retailers, you have some local reps, 
Um, also, we didn't go down this tangent, but um, a local charity, right? Whoever you've teamed up with, you should definitely do that. That's just, you know, second nature for everybody to, get, to give back to the community in some form or fashion, whether they're getting a dollar per runner or 50 cents per runner. It's it's just giving back to the community. Plus, you can use that relationship to help market your event, right? So there's an event that I know of that actually was a marathon that actually had a charity for every single mile. So at the finish line, there were 26 booths all lined up for every single charity. And it gave people the opportunity online beforehand to where they wanted their dollar to go, what charity that they wanted to go to, and also go meet them at the expo. It made it more fun, right? So you got to go see all these different charity groups that many times were, someone was there to that you would be wanting to benefit somehow or help out, you know? Do you find that um, now, you know, with the proliferation of things like smartwatches and the fact that everyone carries a phone that can also pay, you know, like they're all sort of like pay ready, do you find that maybe expos, uh, I know we mentioned earlier that they're not really there for selling because people don't have their wallets on them or something, but that people can, vendors can start thinking of the expo also as a place to actually sell, given that people sort of carry their wallets now on their watches or in their phones? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. It's, it's definitely easier for people to do that now with Apple pay and PayPal and different ways to do that. Um, I even bring it up just, uh, we recently took a client to the Munich marathon and there was a company that we found in the UK that actually, again, trying to keep up with the technology. You and I are older. It's, it's, it's just trying to keep up with technology. They sent me this digital box and I had no idea that technology had gone so far. It's a box that all I have to do is turn on and it's automatically finds and connects. It's like a phone, technically, if you want to think about it, because it finds the internet. And now I've just created this little box that a, is a touch-free tap credit card taker right there on the spot. And I thought, I thought I'd bought the wrong one and I got it and I turned it on. I'm like, wait, it actually just connected to the internet and it's taking wireless payments. So definitely... Uh, race directors need to keep up on technology constantly on how how things are done at the expo, especially since people want to register for the event at the expo day of race, right? So that's kind of what most most races do that nowadays because so many people are procrastinators and make their decision two days beforehand. Oh, I'll run that 10K in two days, which race directors hate and love because they're paying twice as much to run the race, but it's also, you know, you get too many of them on, at the expo on that morning. It's It's, it's a lot of work. And besides the um, cash, which is uh, pretty straightforward, and the free product or the free service or the free experience, which uh, I guess, you know, as you were saying, it's either a cost saved or race experience enhanced. What other kinds of stuff could I be uh, looking forward to from my race expo vendors to contribute or to bring on to the expo? This is something... No one really does well enough, including myself, because of it's time, right? You only have so much time and you have to remind people. So including my re- example I gave you with working with other races. So sometimes we've even swapped out e-blasting, right? So use your partnerships with these expo vendors to promote your event. No one does this well. No one. So for example, if Runner's Roost, and they're good at it in Colorado. So Runner's Roost was my official retailer for four of my running races. So 
it was, I put it on my schedule every two weeks was to send them an email to tell their event marketing person who then told their social media person to, Hey, make sure we send out an e-blast promoting the monster dash run that's coming up in three weeks that runners roost is a sponsor of, and it helps you. So use your expo vendors for marketing, social media, and, and also for, if you're making flyers for your event, you should be distributed at all those running stores or that local gym down the street, have them pass it out. Also, we constantly, again, social media can help you with all this stuff and just helping out, getting more exposure. Some of the events that we are involved with and we get our partners, we give them four to five free entries for their staff, right? So if you, again, I'll use a sports gym down the street. Well, those people aren't paid a lot or they just, you know, so it's great added value. Hey, I'm going to give you five free ones. So then their staff can come and run the event and then they market it and promote it or they on social media. So again, my point is use your sponsors and your expo clients to help market your event through social media or through flyer distribution or through email blasting. Right. And sponsors, you mentioned there, I mean, it's an obvious place to use the expo to activate some of those sponsorships. What if a sponsor, for instance, can't turn up or something? Would you put something on their behalf? Do you do you ever do that in an expo where, you know, like maybe you want to help a sponsor, but maybe they can't travel or they can't attend? Or even, to be honest, with some sponsors, they can't even maybe see the value of it and you want to demonstrate to them that you can go the extra mile for them. Would you put up a booth on their behalf? Would you do that for someone like one of your sponsors who doesn't, who can't attend? We've definitely done that before. That's yeah. Because especially now you just opened up a whole can of worms, COVID-19, right? We can bring up and we can also bring up the problem of staffing, right? In America where just no one wants to work anymore. So we've done it for the food companies that we've worked with, the coffee companies we worked for. It's, it's a lot of work, like a literally, the day before an event had a staff member drive 20 kilometers to go pick up a tent and all the coffee beans or coffee stuff that we need for the event. And then believe it or not, we've purchased like 20 coffee urns and made the coffee at two, three in the morning. So that's there for them because again, it's the experience for the racers. They, everyone asks for coffee in the morning, right? So it's amazing what I've done and other people, I'm sure people listening to this podcast have done. I'm sure they have many stories of what they've done for expo people and vendors and sponsors um, to make them happy, right? So go that extra mile. Staffing wise, yeah, that's a huge issue. And I want I before we jumped on this podcast, I wanted to bring that up. It's a huge problem. Like these people would love to come to the event. So for example, what we've done now with the bubble run is we are creating other ways of getting involved. If they can't, they still want to get involved with the event, but they can't be there. So we now do three e-blasts to all of our current runners leading up to the event. And we allow people to put in banners or text or promo codes and all that because we send out, hey, don't forget your race is coming in three weeks. Don't forget your race is coming in two weeks. And then here's the week before we'll say, here's where the expo is, packet pickups of these hours, and we will include partners, sponsors, even expo people's information inside these e-blasts. Then another option we have, pretty easy to do, is we are selling the 
sponsorship of the race bib. So I can't be there. I want the exposure. Okay, cool. For we're charging like 10 cents per bib depends. I mean, we already, it's already cost we have to incur. So if all I have to do is tell my guy in New Jersey, Hey, add this logo to it. Um, pretty simple thing to do. You should, everyone should do that, right? You're it's a cost that you have and it's for exposure. Someone who can't be there. We're also, we don't put logos on t-shirts for all these bubble runs and black white runs, but we're now opening for this year or for next year, the opportunity to pay, to have you the only logo on the back of the t-shirt. So we're already making the t-shirt cost isn't much more what 10, 15 cents per unit that we need to do for the t-shirts. So we're now selling sponsorship for uh, attendee or sponsors that can't make it to the event um, that way. And then we've also passed out or will be passing out postcards for clients that can't come. So that's an added value. That's very simple for us to do at packet pickup. So when they pick up their t-shirt, we just put a postcard on top of it and hand it to them. So Many different things you can do for people that want to get involved that you can do for them um, throughout. Much more sponsorship stuff more than Expo. But yes, we have actually set up booths for clients at the Expo for them. And sometimes just put a volunteer at the booth um, and or leave it freestanding, depending on what the product is. That's super interesting. I think I think it's it's interesting that we stumbled into this because essentially you're saying that and COVID, the whole COVID situation makes this even, even more important that basically you could be reducing one of the objection or one of the objections or the friction points with one of your potential um, uh, expo vendors or sponsors attending by just telling them, listen, you know, you help me out. You tell me, you know, what you need out of the booth and stuff, and I'll put one of my people there. And I guess it it, it also fits schedule and um, sort of like human resources wise, because you could put someone at the expo who's done doing something else during the race, right? I mean, it's it's at the end of the race. You can pick someone who did something and they're, in, they're done with their shift, if, if, either from your team or a volunteer, and put them to man the expo. And then you tell the vendor that, you know, you don't even have to be there. We'll take care of all of that for you. Yeah, even if whether it's definitely if there's product there, have a volunteer at the event because everyone will take more than we need to. But if it's just a simplest, even for one of the other events, you're just popping up their pop up tent, a table, table cover, postcards for their event. Don't do too many of them, right? I could tell you horror stories of just like so many. As a race director, you have so much to do already, which brings up a comment I want to make is that any event, no matter what size they are, should hire, whether it's just a friend, volunteer, as a person that's in charge of the expo. So one frustration I see or I've had, which is why, again, people bring us aboard, is we've gone to events um, for my events, right? And you show up, even if it's an event with a thousand people and there's 10 vendors there, there's no one there in charge of the expo. Like it's so unprofessional. Like at least have one person that's there to make sure everyone gets checked in. It doesn't take long, right? They're there for only an hour and a half. They're just check them. Their setup is from seven to eight thirty. Races at nine, right? So come set up your booth between seven. Come see Craig. He's going to show you where to set up. It just will make your event so much more professional. And usually we'll set the tables up in advance and then put their name on it. Or other ways we've done it. They we, it's first come first serve. You don't need to be that professional. Right? Just so it make it it's easy for them when they show up. Here here's your parking pass. Go park over there. Drop your stuff off. It's just so much more professional that way. And won't cost you anything. Just even have a volunteer do it. 
that all he's got to do is volunteer for two hours of his time, and then he gets to go run for free, right? A lot of people do that. I get so many volunteers that come help us for like two hours beforehand doing anything, even helping a vendor unload. And then they're done at 8.45, they go get in line and go run the 10K. So free free labor, right? So then you have another person who just ran your race that's going to speak highly of it and promote it later and come back next year. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, makes sense. And actually, it's, that's a great segue to the um, the last bit I wanted to touch on, which is the actual expo itself and the layout and how you set things up and what an expo should look like. I guess, first things first, how much space would I need for my expo? Is there is there a kind of rule of thumb that would connect, you know, like how many vendors I might have to the size of the area that I'm going to need? Yes. So a broad question, broad, uh, broad answer. It all depends on how much space you have. Let's, let's use, I'm going to use an example only for an outdoor event, which is like 95% of events and they're at a park or they're at some outdoor venue. So this is why many times the smaller events, you know, 300 to a couple thousand, don't really need to do a pre-expo layout because you don't know really know how many vendors are you're really going to have leading up to the event because you might end up having four or five new vendors show up or sign up just days before the event, right? Especially in Colorado and places around the world where the weather, you never know, right? So this is going to be different with COVID, right? So in the years past, we try to keep everything close and tight. Uh, so a couple bullet points. Close and tight because then it makes it seem full. We put tables in the middle of the expo because that's where people then congregate, sit and eat and drink um, after the event. I put the packet pickup at the back of the expo, right? So everyone has to walk through the expo to even go back in the back to go pick up their bibs. Um, Also, food and beverage post-event at the back of the expo. Many times we'll switch the packet pickup, right? The 10 by 20 or 10 by 30 that we have and switch it from packet pickup. Now we just switched it to food, right? So now everyone has to walk back through the expo again to get to the food and beverage in the back. Um, So I'm an advocate of making it tight and narrow, which is not a COVID-19 thing anymore. So everyone, we try to keep at least uh, 10 feet between each booth and not having it far away. I was recently at a expo for a marathon here in Germany and it was horrible. They put our booths about 20, 30 meters away from the main foot traffic that everyone was coming into the stadium to get to their packet pickup. Like it was so bad. All the vendors, even when there were like 15 of us vendors, we all wanted to move and we couldn't believe we put them there because we probably only saw 20% of the foot traffic we normally should have seen had they just moved us like 20 meters closer to the main foot traffic of where everyone was going. So um, does that help with an idea of how to set it up? Yeah, yeah, and, and and it sort of you know it it brings to mind um, images of how uh, duty free stalls are set up in the airport when you t- sort of like make yourself to the gate, right? Same principle, you know, you need to get to the gate, and then you know the whole way to the gate is lined with you know like perfume shops and stuff like that, right? I mean, I guess it's same principle with with the food stalls and and making sure people go through the things you want them to go through to reach you know, to have a beer or have a hot dog or something. Yep. Yep. And if you're forced to make the expo like in a round or a square design, still put some in the middle. We'll usually put a middle Island of four booths, you know, square 
four boosts in the middle just to kind of get people to flow back and forth. And then also mixing it up. Definitely don't put competitors next to each other, right? But so we'll force people to go over there and over there to go see different clients or freebies and all that kind of stuff. Um, some ideas that maybe to throw into some of the race directors' heads here um, that we've done in the past is we've had a sponsor that you then were given a piece of paper and um, all the vendors were given a punch, punchy. So if you went to the vendor and said hi to them or whatever, they could punch your punch card and have you gotten five or 10, whatever number you want. If they go reach out to five of the vendors, they can then write their name and email address, put it in a hat. And all of our vendors, we didn't go in this whole topic, um, when you discount a booth, you should always try to get something in return. So let's say the gym down the street wanted to come. They don't have $400 to spend. You'd be like, all right, why don't we make it $200 and can you give me you know, five coupons for five free spin classes or whatever, right? So now you have items that then you could give in the raffle. So when the people go meet all the vendors, turn in their card, put it in the box, pick out a winner, then they win something, right? So there's creative ways to uh, use discounting to get people to stay longer, right? So um, a couple of events we work on, we'll do prizes every hour so it gets people to stay longer or give them something to do while they're hanging out waiting for their friends and family to finish so those are fun things to do in the expo as well excellent okay and i did want so, to bring up a music and a and, and an announcer is mandatory like i it, i can't even stress that the two hundred dollars or hundred dollars or whatever it costs to have an announcer come will make your expo an event a hundred times better they can BPA announcements on what's going on at different vendors. They can keep people updated on food and where the bathrooms are, when the race is starting. Mandatory. That's, again, just in even any expo, have music going and an announcer. It's worth every penny. Interesting. I, I wouldn't have thought of that. So basically, you're saying the announcer. I mean, how would that work? Because if people are sort of like coming through the finish line all the time, and the announcer is there to is there to shout out names of people finishing and stuff. Would they also be announcing on the expo? Yes. So um, I never mentioned this, but I've announced over probably 150 events. I kind of got into it because I talked too much and people started hiring me to do it. So I've even been to events, larger ones or more crowded ones. Um, recently, last year in Colorado, we did a bike race. We had two expo, um, excuse me, two announcers. We had one just at like the finish line announcing people thing coming out. And then we had an expo announcer that had different music and then PA announcements that we were doing on what's going on at different vendors and giveaways and things to go do at different expo uh, vendors around the expo. So that's more for larger events, but um, I'm also not an advocate. You don't really need to have an announcer. They're announcing every race finisher. It's all about the vibe and and the music and keeping it fun. So like our monster dash race that we do in Colorado is I spend hours downloading different scary music and sounds and stuff. Um, and then we use the announcing for very few of the people coming across the finish line, but more to keep everyone informed of what's going on. I've, I've been to even me myself running major marathons that where are the bathrooms and where's the expo and where's packet drop off for your goodie bag or for your bag for your extra clothes? Like that's what you need to announce for me. If you want to make your event much more professional, whether it's 500 people or 5,000, have an announcer there that's keeping everyone informed of what's going on through the event and also promoting your expo sponsors and partners throughout the day. So 
Super. Yeah, I'm, uh, we're going to be doing a full episode on the podcast on race announcers. Definitely a piece that uh, fairly undervalued, I think, in terms of what it can contribute to an event. Um, so I think that's been amazing. There's so many things here to um, to look at for people interested in, in either setting up an expo or taking their expo to the next level. In terms of people uh, maybe reaching out to you with some thoughts or some follow-ups or, uh, you know, maybe they need some help with uh, selling expo space, how can they reach you? Yeah, you can reach me at craig at endurancesportsmarketing.com. Whatever you want to fill out some information to on your podcast website, all that too, you can, they can reach out to me. But I am in Europe, so um, I'm open to people that want to reach out to me for some suggestions, ideas. Um, cost-saving ideas, expo ideas. I've been doing this for so long that I really enjoy helping people. Like I really enjoy making events better. It's my, been my life for the last 25 years so or more. So love doing it. So anyone reach out at any time if you want any uh, have any questions. Excellent. Okay, Craig, thank you very, very much for your time today. It's been uh, super informative. Uh, I think we couldn't have had a better expert to speak on the topic of uh, race expos. Pleasure. Thank you very much. And thank you very much to everyone listening in, and we'll see you all on our next podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode on Race Expos with my guest, Endurance Sports Marketing Group's Craig Minslav. You can find more resources on anything and everything related to race directing on our website, racedirectorshq.com. You can also share your questions about race expos, sponsorships, or anything else in our Facebook group, Race Directors Hub. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe or leave a review on your favorite player. And also check out the podcast back catalog for more great content like this. Until our next episode, take care and keep putting on amazing races.